Well, here we are, Nick. Here we are, indeed. We're here for another wonderful season of Totem Talks. This is season six, episode one. That's right. Crazy. Which, and not everybody knows this, um, is the first episode of the season. That's a great point. Yeah, I just want to make sure that was Glad you brought that up. And this is our first episode with our new format. Exactly. So if you have tuned into previous episodes, how that's going to look a little different is we're doing two artists instead of three. And we're kind of separating the review section from the grading section. We're going to do all the reviewing of both artists uh, so we can get some compare and contrast going. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to do the grading again to get a little bit of compare and contrast going. It's going to be a little different. I think it's going to spice things up a little bit. It's going to make things more fun, I think. Yeah, I oh, I totally agree. And I think we have a great first episode here. Oh, uh, yeah. Nick has painstakingly chosen our artists for this episode and for this As season. As I always do. Exactly. And I think I think this one, you really knocked it out of the park. I, I appreciate that. It's going to be, it's like a very, very niche, but also like all-encompassing kind of yeah. matchup, I think. Exactly. So... Uh, I guess without any further ado, first off, thank you all for tuning into our uh, first episode of the sixth season. Thank you for hanging out with us through all of this. Please make sure you are liking, commenting, subscribing, leaving reviews, you know, all of that fun stuff to help grow our podcast. We really want to grow and we need you. We are we are mere seeds and That's you true. are the plant food and water that will grow us. That's exactly right. I like to think of myself as a seed most of the time. Exactly. But we need Very to delicate. blossom. Yeah. Uh, so, Nick, uh, would you like to tell us God, no. the artist that we are we are covering? I, would, I wouldn't I would do that in a million, even if you paid me, which you, you don't, unfortunately. <laughs> I have nothing to pay you with. That's true. That's true. <clears throat> well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one of the artists in this matchup if you tell us the other. You sure? You I, I think that? you can say both. Okay. Well, we've got Washington's football team which is a, a super group, and of course, Rock Dreams and A Pinch of Soul. So this is kind of a matchup of the like really eclectic super groups, kind of one-offs, like sort of like the best, um, which I know sure. we've talked about, Yeah. Um, which was like Joe Walsh and John Entwistle um, and Simon Phillips on the drums and um, Skunk Baxter, like a bunch of different guys who kind of got together. Uh, and you might not know the music that they made when they got together, but you definitely know all the names. Sure, and I think that's uh, that's a great way to describe them. And I'm looking forward to kind of kind of cutting my teeth on these a little bit. Agreed. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and get started with Washington's football team? Of course. So Washington's football team is a super group based out of fucking Austria, and <laughs> they are for, they were active from the years 1865 until the year 2023. So they just recently broke up, but uh, they are <laughs> sad. a really, yeah, it, it's really sad that they broke up, I'm, I'm uh, but they're, again, a super group. We covered three of their albums, mm-hmm. so we covered Rebirth, which is from their second era of supergroupness, which came out in the year 1968. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we followed that up with Hometown Heroes, which came out in 1984, and then we closed things out with In Pursuit of Greatness. Uh, which actually just came out in December of 2022. Right. Uh, and Nick, why don't you go ahead and, and go first with Rebirth? I would love to. And um, here's the thing about this record. Um, I, I I don't want to like spoil things because I think that the records continue to be really interesting. Um, and there's a lot of stuff buried about them. But the first one is a little bit my favorite. Okay. Um, 
because I think this is the the record where they they really clicked. Like you got a lot of people coming into the studio. Um, you got multiple guitarists. You got David Gilmore and Jeff Beck both on this record. Um, and the way that they work together uh, and all of their influences, like the voice of each musician, I think is really clear on this record. Sure. Which is really nice to hear. Like you can go through and listen to the solos on this record. And it's like, oh, that's a Gilmore. Oh, that's a Beck. Like it, it's very clear. And they each get their chance to shine, which is really, really nice. Uh, and in fact, my favorite, um, the song that's titled, This Isn't Even a Song. Uh, has a, like an elongated solo section where it's first Gilmore and for about a minute and then Beck comes in. And that's really cool the way these musicians are able to kind of trade off. Uh, and you just you can tell that they're having a lot of fun. Um, but then they also take advantage of the fact that they've got a lot of great singers. So obviously David Gilmore can sing really well. Paul McCartney yeah, came in uh, on these records and sang and, and laid down the bass. Crazy. Uh, Rick Davies from Supertramp, also an excellent singer. And of course, Dolores O'Riordan from the Cranberries. Uh, and all of them, I mean, they're actually short kind of like, uh, and these, these really, the tr opening and closing tracks really kind of set and then close out the a lot of the melodic motifs on this record. Yeah. And they're acapella which is like really cool a great use of all these singers and really the whole album is a great use of all four singers like if you've got a lot of people with talent let them trade off verses have different people singing the verses from the choruses to songs that are mostly in harmony throughout and i think they really nailed it with this so a really awesome first record awesome and and listen i couldn't agree more with what you're saying i think the big thing for me that really stood out was using the guitars almost against each other mm -hmm. for a little bit like Beck and and uh Gilmore they were almost like fighting each other throughout and it created a lot of tension mm -hmm. in the record but in a good way where I could feel the tension building throughout and then you would get this like awesome release yeah like throughout the episode or, or throughout the album like you would get these moments of tension 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 for like three or four songs and then you'd get like this really like a like acapella, like free form vocal that would just kind of like calm you down. You mentioned yeah. this isn't a song or this isn't even a song, yeah. which was such a killer moment with all the solos. Yeah, I think that was my favorite. Uh, but I think, highlight. see, I think for me, my favorite was the title track, Rebirth. Okay. Because it was one of those moments. You had like the tension for like three or four songs leading up to it. And then in Rebirth, it was just like so open concept. It almost felt like they didn't even have an idea when they were going in. Like they were just like singing random lines and then it was harmonizing a lot. It almost uh, like that one song almost reminded like Fleet Foxes where like you have that idea of them just like sitting in a room recording together. Like sure. It felt like that to and me. And it kind of and it, like what's interesting about this this record and sort of the bands, but sort of both bands that we looked at today is that there's so much of like hanging out in the studio and you can almost like hear the writing process in the record oh yeah absolutely um so i guess it's my turn it is i'll take us into uh to hometown heroes so here's the thing about this album it came out in the 80s and it was uh, you know a little bit worrisome because a lot of bands that start out earlier i mean this yeah. is a band that started out 120 years before exactly. this exactly and it like you could really expect them to just like live in the moment and it becomes like a pure 80s sound but i think they did a great job of keeping their identity sure 
I think they really stuck with what made them great throughout. I think you're getting a lot more growth in the guitars. Uh, I think you're getting the vocals coming in even a little stronger, mm-hmm. especially as like some of these artists like st- start to age up a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think you're getting a more mature moment. I mean, for McCartney, like you're getting his post Beatles right. at this point, and I think that's huge. And I think it's creating this really cohesive sound. Uh, so I think, uh, obviously, uh, I think you're getting a song called Welcome to My Home, mm-hmm. which was was such a beautiful opening number for a song called Home, for an album called Hometown Heroes. Right. Like, Welcome to My Home, you're getting this really raw, emotional sound from them. Uh, because obviously Hometown Heroes is a play on it. If if you listen to the album, it's actually really depressing. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome because when you think of Hometown Heroes, you think of like, you know, marching bands, like really uppity. But instead you're getting this like really like progressive, broken down sound of like kind of almost like post-apocalyptic wasteland music. Yeah, like, sure, sure. I mean I like in terms about. of the message. Like it's saying like, you know, oh, like we're the hometown heroes, but there is no hometown left. Right. And I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah, so I'll, I, I really like the way you kind of captured the record as a whole. So I just want to say a few things about the, the sound individually. Sure. So one, Rick Davies, the Rhodes sound that he gets on this, like it's, it's fantastic. Like some of my favorite Rhodes tunes um, on this record. And then another big difference is I feel like on the, the first record, they maybe underutilized Grover Washington. Like there are a couple of saxophone riffs that are kind of steady in a few of the sure. songs, but there's not really a moment where he can kind of just like let go and solo and show what he's got. And this record has definitely more of that. There's a lot more of like, let's just let this guy play and let's hear some awesome saxophone solos, which are, which are really cool. And then I love the effect on the, you know, the, the song goats. Um, so I was r- reading about this, the way that they got the um, sound effects. So, you, you know, like a lot of records use like animal sound effects and stuff. Yeah, of course. Uh, and they just kind of, you know, I, I don't know where they come from. They computerize them and they just throw those files in there. <laughs> yeah. But they brought a petting uh, zoo into the studio and oh recorded it for like an hour. Like they just put a bunch of goats and like bales of hay and stuff in the studio with live mics and left them there for like an hour and then f- picked out the the sounds that they liked the most from that for the intro and then kind of like background sound effects throughout that song which is really cool that's like so clever yeah who thinks of that yeah i i that's crazy i mean first off kudos to all of the text that i had to put up with the full penny i know zoo, oh, i mean no, hey it obviously worked yeah, the album ended up going what quintuple platinum. So, so yeah, I mean it worked. Obviously. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, and should we just keep rolling while we're yeah. while we're rolling? So yeah, in pursuit going. of greatness. So now I know you mentioned. Well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it was the the cold release. Like essentially, the the first EP's worth of music was released in December 2022. Yeah, the entire album has not been released in full, and they will not release all of the songs. Um, until all of the members of the group are deceased. Like it's kind of like they're they're waiting uh, and the whole record can't come out until there's no one left alive in the band, which is kind sure. of a really weird and interesting concept. Like it will, I don't even know how I feel about that. You know, like, it's like how that, would I feel that, about 
having this art and not ever knowing how people react to it. Well, I forget the name of it. Never getting there, to... There's a movie that did that. Like, oh, there's really? a movie that has filmed and is filmed and re- and is set to release a hundred years from when the filming was done. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. So, so I complete, guess maybe the yeah. this the concept is is very similar. Yeah, I guess. Um, but based on what we do know and kind of based on uh, rumors about the other things that are going to be on the record, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. So first of all, uh, in terms of the instruments, everything that is played on this record was actually either salvaged from or made from material salvaged from the wreck of the Titanic. Wow. Like, where do you even get that idea? Where do you get the time and the money to go down there and, like, find... Well, I mean, the money, all these people are filthy rich at this point. That's true. But I I was kind of blown away by that. Yeah, that's a crazy fact. But it was a lot easier for the drums because they don't even have actual drums. So for this particular record, I guess because they were feeling particularly experimental, Terry Bozio, who drums on all these records, uh, only used punching bags as percussion. So all the all the percussion sounds, at least as far as we know, yeah, uh, are literally just the sounds of him hitting a punching bag or hitting it with sticks. That makes a lot of sense because the first few the first few songs that you get to hear that are pre released right. definitely have a very unique like percussion sound. Exactly. And that's where that comes from. And the other thing, I mean, like, I've been dancing around it because it's like, yeah, it's the obvious thing that jumps out is that all of the songs are backwards. Like they were all recorded forwards. Yeah. But then reversed in studio. And so the whole album plays backwards, which is like such a weird and interesting sound that makes everything sound like almost like sitar-esque. You know how sometimes you listen to like, well, like on some Beatles records where they would play the guitar notes back uh, backwards in the loop and then put that into the song. Yeah. And it almost gives it like an Indian music type of feel. Um, so that's all in all. It's, it's hard to, to like have a final opinion on this, obviously, because it's so new. Um, but it's definitely an interesting record so far. And I, you know, yeah. and I don't want to say I look forward to the rest of it coming out because <laughs> of what know, it means. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I would never wish that on these people. But we'll definitely update, you know, yeah, if course. we're, st- as long as we're still on when that happens. Right. We'll definitely update on that. And yeah, I mean, that's a great, uh, I think that's a great kind of overarching opinion on Washington's football team. Yeah. Uh, I think we can just take it right into uh, Rock Dreams and a Pinch of Soul. And let's. Yeah, so so Rock Dreams and a Pinch of Soul is also a super group, and they're from Monkey's Eyebrow, Kentucky. And uh, they have been active from 1994 until 1997. A lot of work for such a yeah. small amount of time. Exactly. And they were only active for a small amount of time, but they really left their mark in the world. We got to cover three albums. We started with 1994's Dreams on Fire. Mm-hmm. We followed that up with 1996's Whispers and Echoes. And then, even though they'd already broken up at the time, 1999's Soulful Nights. Right. Yeah. So, so I, that, what's the story with that? I actually didn't read this. Was that like just kind of they had a bunch of studio outtakes left that they never put on a record before and it was like a compilation of those or close? Uh, so basically what happened was the band all got together in 1997 okay. like to record Soulful Nights and it was supposed to be their kind of swan song. These this is a mm. super group. You know, they don't typically stay together like as long as Washington yeah. football team did. Yeah. Uh so they were planning on having it happen and then after they recorded the album going on like a year-long tour as like a swan song and a goodbye to the band and basically what happened was they got in the studio 
And as they were recording it, there was just so much tension between the group that they just had to they had to call it all off. Mm. So then basically they were finished recording. They called off the tour. And basically as they were doing that, you know, you have other members of the band like Santana was in there. Right. He's obviously taking off and going off with Santana still doing his thing. You know, Dave Grohl's on the drums. He's not only drumming for you know, for this group, but he's also like the lead singer of the Foo Fighters. He's drumming on other albums. Right. So like he's a busy man. Obviously, you have like David Bowie, who him and Freddie were kind of the two butting heads the most, even though they were friendly. Yeah. They're both kind of similarly diva esque on the front man syndrome. And when you have like one of them kind of taking the center stage at any given moment, the other one doesn't want to be sitting in the back. So yeah. they kind of started the the kind of vitriol a little bit, and then it kind of grew from there on that third album. So unfortunately, we we had to wait a little bit. Once it kind of was official that there was never going to be a tour, Yeah, the studio just went ahead and released the album. But we'll go back to Dreams on Fire, when they were fresh, when they were young. Exactly. This album is absolutely crazy to me, (laughs) because it's the 90s. I told you some of the members of this group... Right. You know, you have Freddie Mercury on on vocals with David Bowie. Uh, Dave Grohl's also contributing on vocals, but he's, for his first still. album, mostly drumming. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's early on in his career as yeah. a vocalist. You have... He didn't know what he had yet. Exactly. And this group is kind of what really brought it out of him. Mm-hmm. Because when he, he kind of came right from Nirvana into Rock Dreams at a Pinch of Soul, and it was, <laughs> it really was showing him, and I think he got to sit and learn behind Freddie and David to kind of see that he could contribute as well on the vocal spectrum. Right. But when you hear the group, you know, Freddie Mercury, David Bowie, you have Carlos Santana on guitar, Roger Waters on the bass, you know, David Bowie also contributing with the many instruments that he plays as well as some vocals and some writing. What I wasn't expecting was a full prog rock album. Right. It made no sense to me when that's what they released. I mean, like, oh, most of these artists are like fairly progressive. That sure, here. I think almost every artist here has at least put out one album, if not more, worth of music that is progressive. And I completely like the more you look at it, like the deeper levels of it, you can totally get that. Mm-hmm. But I just wasn't expecting it. You know, when you think of Freddie Mercury, you think of Queen, you think of that like hardcore rock. Like classic rock sound. Queen definitely has some progressive elements. Oh, for sure. Uh, But either way, this once I listened to it, it quickly became my favorite prog album ever because it has the one thing that I need from a really good prog album, which is out of this world vocals. I feel like that's what's often left on the back burner of most prog, and I think that when it's not left on the back burner and is instead celebrated, you get. An album that, even though it's 68 minutes long, I am in love with every single second of it. It's only 10 songs, 68 minutes. You start off with the first one, Odyssey to the Unknown. And from there, that's an 11-minute epic song to open the album. And you're getting this back and forth, like almost the live argument between Freddie and Bowie. And it's just like back and forth. You know, one with that, like, deep, like, soulful bass in the vocal. You're getting this overarching, like, incredible Freddy sound. 
you're getting the sick guitar and the bass. Everything's going through and moving really well together. I think what was really understated on this first album, but done really well, is John Coltrane and Miles Davis on the horns. Yeah, I have a song Re- I'm going to highlight. Oh, yeah, and I can't wait for what you thought. Because like as they're coming through, horns and their use in like a prog rock album, I think is underutilized, but really well done. Looking at you, King Crimson. Yeah. I think it's really well done. I think so. You have Odyssey to the Unknown. Uh, my favorite song was Echoes of the Beyond. Okay. Yeah. Which will actually, I think, will go a little further into the second album, but mm-hmm. by far my favorite al- my favorite song on the album. Even though it's the shortest, it's not my favorite because it's the shortest, but it was four minutes and it was just a really beautifully done, like almost a lament. Yeah. Like a prog lament. Sure. And I just loved it. Yeah. So. Let me just highlight three songs because I think you've already said so much. Sure. Uh, that highlight three different things that I think are great about this record. One, you've got some really excellent lyricism because Roger Waters is writing most of these lyrics. Yeah. And that's like, he, he he's pretty great at that. Yeah. So the song The Great Divide about the Spanish American War, I thought that was really interesting because it's not something that many <laughs> people like write that much about and kind of get no. the perspective of a soldier on the front lines on each side in different verses. Um, that was pretty cool. Then Santana solo on 11 of a kind. Probably one of my favorite guitar solos I've ever heard. Really good. I fully get it. Like excellent phrasing and uh, builds really, really nicely. Like it wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. Like it it peaked at exactly the right time and then it was over. Well, like, now because sometimes that happens where you hit the peak of the solo and then it continues on for an, another few bars, and it's like, oh, man, if you just stopped it right there, that was perfect. <laughs> My question for you is, did you pick up on Infinite Horizons a couple songs later mm-hmm. when John Coltrane did the exact same riff and did the same melody of the solo mm-hmm. in the background? Right. It was yeah, crazy. Like deep in the track. Yeah. It was there. And then the other thing I was going to talk about is the horn smiles and Coltrane, like they're back and forth riffing on the song This Is Obviously Not True. Yeah, that was my favorite, like of all of their moments. And like, honestly, every like you said, the record is really great. But of my favorite, like horn moments, it was probably this is obviously not true. Just like kind of the like four bars uh, trumpet, four bars on the saxophone, four bars on the trumpet, kind of like this battle that escalates throughout the two minutes of the solo. Ah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Shall we move on? I think we shall. So whispers and echoes. I right away what jumps out to me is like how good of word painting is done with the instruments to match the title of the record yeah like the dynamics but also the use of reverb and delay on a lot of this stuff that gives the whole record a sound of whispers and echoes echoes um i think is really well executed because rarely does you know like the title of a record often is indicative of some themes but not themes in like the way that the music is performed as much as i hear it here you know yeah no absolutely that makes a lot of sense to me yeah and uh obviously like you you hinted at it before but we get more growl vocals which is really nice um one thing that they do a couple of times on this record is songs in three-part harmony throughout yeah with with uh freddie and bowie obviously which is really really cool to hear um and then the same thing was going on on a couple of the tracks where your your lead melodic instruments uh trumpet 
saxophone and guitar were all playing the same solos but in harmony with each other the technical prowess that requires yeah i i just i was pretty blown away um by those things in particular and just like the i guess they're both done in threes interestingly enough it's like here's this three-part harmony going on now how do we replicate that well let's let's do it with the music as well not just the vocals um so this was another like very cool record for me in terms of those themes and all those things that were happening i i'm fully with you now I'm glad you talked a lot about like the really intricate moments on this album because when I was doing my research on this album, I don't know if you saw this in your in your notes, Nick. Mm-hmm. This album was recorded in 19 hours straight recording. That's wild. Like beginning to end, they all got together because they're so busy. Sure. They're all touring musicians at yeah. the time. It took them all like they could basically get together for two days. So they got together and they just recorded it, start to finish. 19 hours, shook hands, left. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> like, I couldn't <laughs> even imagine that. Uh, so I think first off, you're getting, you're still getting a lot of prog sound, although I think, ironically, you're getting more of a mix of, like, alt-rock mixed with, like, some of the, like, classic arena rock that I was expecting from the first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really nice. What I thought was the coolest is, yes, when they did the three-part harmony, it was really awesome. But I loved on this album, specifically in the song Silhouette of Love, when they were having Dave Grohl really start to re- like test his upper range yeah. and do that classic like Foo Fighters scream that he does. And you're also like having Freddie do similar lines, like either before or after him in that same range, and hearing the difference in their voices. Yeah. Sure. Hitting the same notes, but the difference in their voices. Because David Bowie, like, his voice is typically lower mm-hmm. in a lot of the stuff that he's doing on this album. So he's, like, kind of, like, the low end, hanging out. And then you have, like, two, like, just up there, just going wild, singing. I really appreciated the vocals on this album. Yeah. But I think, for me, the horns, like, really took the cake on this album. Mm-hmm. They just, like, I mean, Santana is an incredible guitarist. It's hard to ignore him, and I definitely didn't. But, I mean, John Coltrane and Miles Davis just really holding their own and showing why they're they're two of the greatest at what they do throughout this. Like, it's so easy, I think, to to almost lose horns. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and obviously, they're probably the most underutilized instruments in rock music. Yeah. But when they're utilized, they're always like, whoa, we need them all the time. Mm-hmm. But they're sitting here really stating the case for why they should be in every band. Yeah. Really loved them. Uh, again, Silhouette of Love was my favorite. I also really loved the Grohl solo Shades of Yesterday. Yeah. I Like, crazy to me that they thought, we're going to put, like, Dave Grohl and an acoustic guitar and not include... David Bowie, Freddie Mercury, Carlos Santana. Like, it's just Dave Kroll. Yeah. It's and interesting that he chose to put it on this record of all the, the records I, you could have put it on, you know? Exactly. I was I was floored. So really, really thought it was a good addition. And Whispers and Echoes might be my favorite of the albums that we covered. Wow. Okay. It's close. I mean, Dreams on Fire was incredible, yeah. but Whispers and Echoes really took me somewhere else. And I'll take us into Soulful Nights. Right. Here's the thing. Can I say it? You could say it. No one played their own instruments on this record. Yeah. (laughs) It was definitely clear to me that this was a group that was fed up with each other. 
Yeah, sure. And obviously, they're able to still produce excellent music because they're all multi-instrumentalists. But you are getting, when you read the sleeve and see who's doing what, who's playing where, it's really weird. Yeah. I mean, Dave Grohl, an excellent guitar player. I would say that Dave Grohl is a better guitar player than David Bowie is a drummer. Yeah, yeah. So you definitely had the rhythm section a little weakened by that. Yeah. It was an interesting album. It was an interesting concept. Uh, I wish we had more Freddie singing. Right. Uh, Although, you know what? I was okay with his bass playing, ironically. I thought he held his own. Uh, It got done, you know? It got done. It's nothing fancy. Uh, But the other thing that you really noticed in the songwriting was how just fed up they were. Like, you really get it. Like, there's a song called Nightfall Serenade, Mm. and the whole time I'm listening to it, I'm like, it sounds to me like the second they stopped recording, they all just started beating the crap out of each other. Sure, sure. Like, you could feel the anger in a song that's called Nightfall Serenade. It It was very jarring. Yeah. It's just the case of, like... When you're when you're literally the top of your musicianship and at the top of your game, the emotion really is important. And for this, the emotion. Oh, I'm I'm excited for this. The emotion really took me through a loop. Hmm. Was it? Yeah. Okay, because I have two songs that I want to highlight that I thought were like the most interesting. And then one kind of interesting fact about the, the production of the record itself. Yeah. So. The first thing, the song We're Just Messing With Your Head, like the genre blending, I don't even know. Maybe it was like they were desperate to try to like find something new because they were all a little uncomfortable um, on the on the instruments they were on. But like I've never heard a song that I could feel comfortable calling like big band swing, but also grunge and also EDM. Yeah. Which like, all right, good for you for like using the technology of the time but also and like sort of being in the moment and then also like being 60 years ahead of time yeah Um, seriously so i don't know uh i definitely respect them for for the attempt at putting all that together but then i think the the most authentic sounding song on the entire record and i think it's because of the way that the vocals were recording so the song's called i'm drowning this isn't the title of the song please help me i'm really drowning and they literally recorded those vocals underwater, which is why yeah. you can't really understand any of the words. But it does feel super authentic. It sounds like the person who's it gets really your, drowning. Yeah, it gets your heart pumping. 100%. Like your your fight or flight response kicks in a little bit. Like, yeah. should I be helping someone? What's going on? I, I don't understand. Not at all. Um, but then the last thing, and I just I couldn't believe that I, I read this about the um, actual pressing of the records when they came out. It's such an interesting concept as well. Like it's furthering their art in a way to to, maybe to the point where most people would be like come on this is just stupid but i'm at least interested in how it sounded i obviously didn't get one of these unfortunately because it was only the first uh, thousand vinyls that they printed yeah but they pressed them on you know cookie cakes you know like they're roughly the size of a record yeah i guess that makes sense right so they would press um the vinyl they would cut it into the cookie and Every time you played it, and as the cookie kind of naturally deteriorated from the plays, the the notes would change. It would be different. You could hear as everything was distorting with each individual play. So that was kind of the concept is that 
it was a record that could be listened to but never heard the same way twice sure because of how how the music changed as things deteriorated so i think the uh, one thing interesting the one other thing i want to highlight here which i thought even though we talked about a lot of their brave choices sure hearing these particular musicians and artists cover the beastie boys sabotage may have been the most wild thing i've ever heard in my life Uh, it's it threw me for a loop, that's for sure. It was it was one of those things that I didn't know I truly needed <laughs> yeah, until well, it was on. I, I certainly never needed the original version, so. Well, yeah, that's fair. But it was also like a hidden track, too. So mm-hmm. basically you finish uh, the last song, which was Late Night Contemplation. Mm-hmm. And that's only like a minute and 20 seconds. Right. And then there's like 40 seconds of nothing. But if you stick around, them covering the Beastie Boys Sabotage comes on. In a wild closing to a truly yeah. wild album. Right. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if there's anything else to, to be said here. No, I think we, it's time to go into our grading. All right, let's do this. I'm going to pull it up. So we're going to start with Washington's football team. Yeah. And, of course, we're going to start with cultural impact. And I think, honestly, we're in a similar position with both of these yeah. artists in the sense that, like, everybody who's in them has had, like, a pretty enormous cultural impact. Sure. But this is probably not the set of records that most people know them for because they haven't really, like, even the ones that were more successful at the time have not really stayed in the zeitgeist. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, you're basically having two different ways to get to similar scores. Yeah. For Washington's football team, you're getting a group that's been around for literally hundreds of years. Yeah. I mean, that's just incredible longevity right. to, like, constantly be maybe not the first thing people are talking about, but definitely someone like a musician's comparison tool. Yeah. And you also have a group that arguably was changing the face of music because they're doing music that wouldn't sound out of place in, like, the 1960s and 70s all the way back in, like, 1865, 1881. Like, they're doing it all the way back then, even before we could even record and listen to it. Yeah. And so I think that is something to point to. Like, Mm -hmm. what's saying that, you know, some of these artists that we put at the forefront, like a Buddy Holly, like a Chuck Berry, aren't gaining their knowledge of this and maybe just putting to record what a group like Washington football team had been doing for decades. Yeah, and I wonder how much that had to do with, like, their desire to replicate the live sound. Like, they did not want to record anything until they felt like the recorded sound could do justice sure. to, to their music. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, honestly, not not having an album for nearly 100 years, it's, it's incredible yeah. that they managed to have the career they did. You're right. So what, what number are you thinking? I mean, I think you got to go at least an eight. All right, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to fight you on that. Yeah. Now, how do you want to do this? Let's just hash it out right here. I know we probably talked about it, but I forget. Do we want to grade both artists? Yeah, uh, let's each? just go yeah. back and forth here. Okay, that's that's what I figured. All right. Cultural impact. Cultural yeah, I impact. mean, the cultural impact for Rock Dreams and a Pinch of Soul is one of the things where it's like, it's the exact opposite of You're Washington right. football team. They were only active for like those years. few years, yeah. but they exploded on the scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't see a reference to the 90s without hearing about Rock Dreams and a Pinch of Soul. Yeah. You know, their music is basically in every single 90s movie. Mm-hmm. 
it's you know everywhere it's synonymous with the decade yeah and yeah. you know i think there's definitely something to be said about that sure and the, the only problem is like where have they been since not that they're not great right but that is the drawback here it's definitely the drawback it's definitely what keeps them out of like the nine or ten range sure um but i think you know you still have artists you know that have gone on for success with other groups i mean obviously like i said with freddie mercury and queen david bowie and his entire solo career and all the things he managed to do dave grohl with both nirvana and foo fighters you know, Carlos Santana with Santana, Roger Waters with Pink sure. Floyd. Like, there's there's a ton of success that stemmed from this band, and I think that is important as well. Right. Uh, at the end of the day, we're looking at a very similar score, I would imagine. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I'd be fine giving them just an eight again. Okay. I'll roll with it. Cool. So, that's of work. Oh, I have to pull up my formula here. Yeah. But here, uh, go into the breadth of work for um, Washington's football team. Yeah, so... So Washington's football team is interesting because you you know they only released five albums yeah but their one album like I had mentioned hometown heroes did go quintuple platinum yeah so in total in terms of their their overall charting success uh, their first album didn't chart at all rebirth then they had hometown heroes go quintuple platinum and then in pursuit of greatness didn't chart because yeah. it's just the EP it's it's probably going to yeah. go another quintuple platinum well, when it's fully released yeah i mean but then it's you interesting also with what our formula mind. covered right but you also have to keep in mind for hun- like over 100 years all the live performances like that's true they have so many albums worth of music that has just never been put on a record they as didn't a have studio time. version yeah. you know like very similar to an artist like say fish who True. like all of their live stuff is so highly coveted, not just because their live shows are unique, <laughs> but also there are many songs in their repertoire which have never been recorded on a studio album. Yeah. But the fans of the band all know because they play them, but they just never, you know, put them down. And to what extent does that still count towards albums, you know? We can count it a little bit. I think So let's where... give them a six. Let's let's have them bump bump them up to the average for that then. That's I'm only okay a that. one album bump. I think that's more than fair. I think that's okay because I think you're also incorporating the incredible sale for Hometown Heroes um, and taking away a little bit because for a group that was around for over 100 years, you know, almost 100, what, 150 years? Yeah, give or take. To to only have five albums released is crazy. Yeah. When we're going to talk about Rock Dreams and a Pinch of Soul, which was around for three years, it has three albums. Sure. So even though that's less albums... Yeah. We're still talking a group that maybe didn't have the single album success of a Hometown Heroes, but overall sold more total records because this is a group that sold 160 million records. Right. So in three years, basically. Let's let's start with Washington's football team. So we're giving them the five points. And then how many points are they getting bumped up for sales from from their five? I'd say we give them a six and a half. Okay. Six and a half. That seems that seems fair overall. And then with only three records, we're starting at a 2.5 right. for Rock and a Pinch of Soul. But the, the number of records bumps them suddenly. And yeah, and the quality, obviously. The quality probably is, two is, is there. Six again, with 100, so you got to be talking six. Yeah, and it's it's close because I would want to give them another, like a similar score. Yeah, like, I for know. Like a, a lot, for a very, similar thing. It's, it's crazy how, like, as different as they are a lot of the core elements kind of leave you in the same place when thinking about the Right. 
like for like because we're switching to grading them head to head. Yeah. Like I it would really not feel out. comfortable saying one of these is better than the other. All right. I think for two in. different reasons they're yeah. fighting a similar and battle. Like, I'm gonna be honest with you. My next couple of grades, I have very, very, very similar feelings on because yeah. I mean, we've already been talking about all the people who are in these groups, like a lot of virtuosically talented musicians. Like, oh yeah, we're looking at extremely strong um, musicianship, front to back, end to end, on all these records. Yeah, multiple great singers on every record. Like, we're looking at a, a very high score. Like, I'm thinking scores in the nines for both of these groups. I am fully in agreement with you. I I legitimately was I so I have like kind of pre-scored them on my sheet here okay. just to have something to talk about. Sure. And for both of these, I have a nine eight. I don't I even think, disagree with you. I, I think the only thing they lose for, I think uh I think Rock Dreams at a Pinch of Soul loses a little bit on the last album for bold choices, but maybe not the best choices. Yeah. And I think Washington's football team loses out just because the last album has not yet been released. Sure. And what is released was backwards. So if you want to hear it in its original recording, you're yeah. doing extra work flipping it. Sure. You're not wrong. Um, and I think we're going to have similar things to say on uh, songwriting. And I, I think this is actually where both groups I can kind of say the same thing for. One, the songs that they're writing are extremely well written. They're very tightly composed. The instrumentation is fantastic. The harmony is fantastic. Yeah. The use of multiple different genres and influences and styles and blending them all together. A plus. The place where both of these groups lose the same exact amount of points for me is sometimes, and I know, I can't believe it's me saying this, of all people, they get a little up their own ass. <laughs> I get it. I mean, when you have two groups... That are composed of the members that they're composed of. It's easy to maybe be smelling yourself a little bit. Yeah. And I, I get that a little bit. Um, So what does that put you at? What number would that put you at? Honestly, it's like it's just touching the elite category still. But it's like more like an eight and a half. Okay. Okay. See, I was thinking more. I could be more pushed. Like, I could be moved. Yeah, because I like... was thinking more like an eight, 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 nine range. I was still taking some away. But I'm maybe still I'm being a little there. harsh. Maybe I'm being a little harsh. Um, thinking I because each group's last album was their most experimental. Yeah, and maybe like having that as the freshest thing in my mind. I'm a little bit like, all right, cool. But yeah, take on, yourself man. back. Come on, take man. yourself Who's back to for? hometown Who's heroes. <laughs> take yourself back to hometown heroes. Take yourself back to whispers and echoes. You know, back. I'm the, giving you the, the eight point nine. Oh, yes, I never win these eight point nine for it. both, right? Yes. Perfect. And then poetic talent. I, I don't think this is as strong as the other two. I'm just no, I think it has like, its moments. It has its moments. It's good, not great. Yeah. It's above average to me, but like, you know, maybe if Roger Waters wrote all of the lyrics, I would be yeah, in the I eight mean, nine range. But I will say I will say like we're still having some strong writing here. I think the only issue that I have is a group of strong songwriters maybe led to a little less cohesion lyrically. Sure, like each sure. individual song is still incredibly up there in terms of its lyrical prowess, but you can really distinctly hear the difference between like for, for at least for rock dreams and a pinch of soul, the waters tracks versus the mercury tracks versus the Bowie tracks versus yeah, where Grohl kicked in. Mm -hmm. And I think with uh Washington football team, you're really hearing like where McCartney was. You're yeah, really hearing was... like where Gilmore chimed in. Like you're really getting to hear which is an interesting thing, but also I mean, 
their writing you is, out of it a little and bit. Both of their writing is like so different from Dolores O'Riordan. Yeah, that's so, true. Which was which was maybe the most jarring when you got to hear Dolores singing songs that McCartney wrote. Yeah. Or when you got to hear like McCartney singing on a Dolores song, you could yeah. really hear like they weren't in their comfort zone. You're right. You're definitely right. I'm I mean, fine sitting around like a seven, seven and a half for see, these. I was, I, I wasn't that high. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. I mean, you want to go lower? We can. Yeah. We can I average mean, out. Was, I'm going to say like a six and a half and bring you down to like the seven low sixes range because I mean I understand there were moments, but I don't. And and I think you're kind of maybe grading them off their best lyrics. Sure. And like there was a lot of run of the mill stuff like written well but not necessarily like i wouldn't give the songs below a five lyrically but i think there's a lot of like plain jane love songs or like kind of ideas that have been done to death and it's like okay cool like Like for every silhouette of love there's a heartbeat of the night like sure yes Yes. So I'm I'm pulling you down into the sixes if I can. All right. So if you're at a six point five, I was at like a seven to a seven point five. Let's live at a six point nine. I'll go all the way out of the sevens. All right. I'll allow it. Um what are you thinking for X Factor here? Because I think there's gotta be some. Super group X Factor is the thing also. <laughs> Super group X Factor for one. Yeah. The sheer number of deceased members, I think, you know, sure. these super groups. Mm-hmm. Between the two of them, could make a super group of just their deceased members, right? And honestly, well, I'll say one thing for for each of them as well that I think is worth something. Yeah, one the last um, Washington's football team album yeah. being made exclusively with instruments that were salvaged from the Titanic, an incredible X Factor moment. Yeah, and the other X Factor um, has got to be um, when Rock Dreams and a Pinch of Soul actually went to the moon. Like they were guest astronauts with NASA and went on a trip to the moon. And that's why the Cardigans album that came out mid nineties, the first band on the moon, it was about rock. Dream it was about rock dreams and pinch of soul, yeah. which I can't believe we forgot to talk about. I know. <sighs> See, that's it why we want to have the question because we covered the Cardigans. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to say that. I also think we could talk about for rock dreams that have been just soul, how they have the longest consecutive streak at number one. Sure. Because from 1994 until 2016, they had various songs from their albums at number one on either the main top 40 chart or the rock top 40 chart. And with Washington's football team also, you have the fact that like in terms of uh, most years together as a band, they've got every other group in history outpaced by over 90 years. Which is incredible. Yeah. I think these are both easy fives for fives, me. Fives it is. Both easy fives. Well, in that case, I have scores. I'm excited. And uh, oh, how am I going to announce it? Do I give you the winner? Do you want the loser? <sighs> I, I guess we should take. We should do the winner because there's only two. And uh, winning this week's episode with a score of 45.1 is neither artist. It was a tie. Oh, my God. We're going to have to throw it up to a vote. Okay. All right. On the first week, that's crazy. Okay, all right. We saw it coming, though. We knew we knew what we were getting ourselves into. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough when you're starting a season with two like uh, groups with such ridiculous quality and ridiculous fame and fortune. Sure. Like, it makes sense. It's hard to, for us to pick a winner. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so forty-five point one puts them both solidly in that A category, which I think oh, yeah. they obviously belong in. One hundred percent. And it's going to be exciting. I guess we'll hold a vote. 
and we'll yeah. see what uh, we'll what see y'all think. Wins. Find out next week. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, thank you so much for tuning in to episode one of season six, and hopefully you like the new format. You like what we're doing here, and I really like the 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 head to head aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think fun. it really kind of livens it up. I agree. So I'm definitely I'm definitely appreciative of that. Hopefully y'all are too. And as you guys are liking and commenting and subscribing and staying tuned for next week, have a great day.